Hi everyone, I'm so pleased you've joined us. Uh, whenever you're watching, whether you're watching it live with us now or uh, whether you're watching it later on, um, we're really pleased that uh, you're with us. And I do hope you are keeping to that golden rule uh, that Reverend Sarah uh, told us to keep to, which is no mince pies before the end of the service. So Ben Coleman, just put that down, mate. Just, just lower it and, uh, and you, Jen, and then um, we can have it after, uh, but Will's allowed the pot. Anyway, so um, welcome. So Christmas is nearly here, as you all know, and we all know we've got all that stuff. It's not going to be the same and all that kind of stuff, but there are some things that will always remain the same at Christmas, not just the Christmas story, uh, but some of the little traditions and the things that we all really, really enjoy. And one of them uh, that I love doing, though um, I don't feel like I've always got the space to do it is I love watching films at Christmas. And as a team, we had this little kind of top five favourite Christmas films that we all kind of uh, listed. And um, there's some unusual films there. Speak to Kath, uh, got quite unique tastes. But, um, but others, there's some classic things of Elf and Christmas something Muppets or Carols or whatever. Anyway, the thing about cr- films I love about this is that I find that... Um, I'm often more interested in the backstory to the films than the actual film itself. So, give you an example, like the Harry, um, what's his name, Harry Potter. If you've watched Harry the Potter, some of the team haven't, but if you watch Harry the Potter, no, Harry Potter, what you'll find is this, there's a really interesting backstory. Or if you are into Star Trek, like Claire is, that you'll find there's some really obscure kind of background things to it. Or Lord of the Rings, if you're a big Lord of the Rings fan, or, um, uh, you know, those kind of films, you always find there's a backstory that, in a way, I find a little bit more interesting than the main plot because I like to know well, how did we get here in the first place how, what were the kind of the events leading up to Yoda what was Yoda like as a little Yoda or now we know if you've got Disney you know um, but for those of us who don't we don't know and it's this backstory which I find really interesting now, in the passage that Esther read to us as she's filmed around Dudley, uh, you'll notice there is a couple of lines which actually set the backstory, which overshadows the whole of the Gospel of Luke. In fact, it overshadows all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's simply this, that in the reading, Luke says that there's a Caesar Augustus called a census at the time, and everyone had to come the potter off to their hometown. Now, for those of you who are into your scholarship, and I know that there's many of you out there who love your commentaries and, and uh, all that kind of stuff, but if you're into that, you'll realise that um, you know, there's a big debate going on. Did the census actually happen? If it did, when did it happen? Because the only thing we can find that happened, it happened in this and it didn't. And it's just like, calm down. It really doesn't matter too much. Just don't tell you when I said that. But the point is, the reason they're saying Caesar Augustus commanded the census, I'm not so bothered when, it's simply this, is what Luke is saying is this. There is an empire at work here, and there's an emperor, and that emperor has total and utter control to such a degree that he can tell you where to go and when to go. And if you don't obey, you are in trouble. The whole of this story of Christmas can be understood without the background, but to really grasp its significance, you've got to get hold of the empire at work here. And when you grasp that, you realise what a contrasting story that Luke lays out for us when we understand about the birth and the life of Jesus. Jesus is born in the shadow of this emperor, of this empire, of tyranny, of control, of crucifixions, of hardship, of islands, of people dominating and taking over peasants' land and then charging them for it. 
he lives and breathes in that context. It's not a kind of gentle Jesus, meek and mild little world that is a quite a nice little world to imagine, but actually it's the harsh realities that a lot of people lived in under those times of this emperor and this empire. But here's another little cheeky thing that Luke's thrown in because he loves a little bit of cheekiness, and it's this. Augustus, Caesar, or Augustus, however you, not Augustus Clute, that's Charlie in the, the chocolate factory. Augustus, he had some kind of names, like kind of official titles, as it were, like, you know, we have official titles. And he has an official title, and some of them were this. Are you ready? Saviour of the world, Prince of Peace, Lord of the world, Son of God. Do, do they kind of sound familiar to you? I'm not talking about Jesus, I'm talking about Augustus. You got it? That's what his title was. His titles were Son of God, Prince of Peace, Saviour of the World, and Lord of the World. And he got these titles because of this. He brought, through civil war, through blood, through shedding innocent blood, through tyranny, through control, through dictatorship, through armed forces, he got peace in that empire, across his whole empire. And it was so, um, so people thought, so, um, well, he thought it was so amazing. I don't know if everyone else did, really. Uh, but he thought it was so amazing that he gave himself these great big titles. So when Luke starts to write, and Luke begins to tell a story of a different saviour of the world, a different prince of peace, a different lord of the world, a different kind of son of God, Luke is not just telling us a sweet little Christmas story. He is telling us a political story. Luke is telling us that this Jesus who is going to be born is going to show us a different way to live and to be in the world. You could almost put it like this. If the vision of Caesar is peace, the vision of Jesus is peace, Jesus brings it about through laying down his life for the sins of the world Or Caesar brings it about by control and laying down other people's lives for the sake of his vision. Jesus offers us a whole different way of being in the world. And isn't it interesting in that little opening that you understand Caesar and he had these, he built, when he wanted to make a name for himself, all those um, guys, literary guys, they would build great big palaces, do big building projects. I don't know if that sounds familiar. A big kind of, um, you know, big things that kind of enable the empire all to connect and kind of bolster their power and send out the navy, I mean, send, uh, and do all these sorts of things. And he, he, they would do those sorts of things. And that's in the palaces, that's with the power, that's with the army and navy, but not God's. God doesn't work like that. Humans always think God does. He does not work like that. In vulnerability and insignificance, amongst an asylum-seeking family, amongst a family who had nowhere to lay their head, that's how God works in the world, through gentleness and beauty and calmness and peace that is not at the expense of other people's lives and opinions, but one that kind of builds collaboration and togetherness. When Luke tells his story about Christmas, it's highly political. It's about a different way of being in the world. Not just a different way of doing politics, but a different way of being in the world. That's the first thing that Jesus wants us to grasp. So we're not all uh, emperors, funnily enough. I mean, we've got Shane's here, so he's sort of our Dudley emperor. But uh, um, and shout out to Kath, uh, his mother-in-law watching. But um, but we're we're not uh, we're not emperors. He's he's not he's not. I'm in trouble. Let's stay on camera and uh, social distance. And um, anyway, so so we, we we haven't got those sorts of powers, you know. But but the shadow of the emperor of the empire 
of those ways of living in the world still hangs over us. Control, manipulation, private conversations where you try and control what other people do and other people say. You kind of manipulate people. Tyranny. Those things still overshadow us. Jesus comes and gives us a different way of being. That's the first thing, political. The second thing, um, briefly, then you can have, no, you can't have a mince pies yet. The second thing is this. The gospel, the Christmas story is political, but it's also deeply personal. Also deeply personal. So the other tradition you have, don't you, which you can't have so much this Christmas, so you, there is a little window where you can, is you see family, don't you? You go and visit family. Now, um, we, 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 used to, we kind of used to go and visit our family and probably will next year, but um, when I was uh, little, I, not just in height, but in age, because I'm, you know, uh, when, in those days, we used to go and visit my granddad. Now, my granddad, uh, on my dad's side, didn't know the ones on my mum's side, lived in Bristol. He's called Fred, and um, he's, not, he's not with us anymore. And we used to go and visit my granddad, um, not particularly at Christmas, but throughout the year. And he lived in a place called Bedminster, um, and it was a kind of two up, two up, two up, two down. And you'd go into the front room. Uh, no, you wouldn't. You'd go, you'd go into the front, through the front door. If you went through the front room, that'd be a bit awkward. Uh, you go through the front door, and as you go in, you turn left, and there's the sitting room with the old gas fire that you had to turn on. And that's where the TV was. That's where... Fred will be sitting all day, every day, apart from when he went to place a bet and go to church. And then uh, as you go through the sitting room, then you go to the, the kitchen. And then at the kitchen, you go to the bathroom. Then at the bathroom, through the courtyard, you go to the toilet outside. With There's a newspaper there, and that wasn't to read with. And so that was kind of his setting. But um, when you went into the sitting room, if you made this major decision and you turned left, you would see the front room. Now, the front room when I was a kid always had, the, had these kind of snazzy sliding doors. Had these doors always over because you would never, ever go in the front room. The front room was like this sacred ground. And my dad, who's watching this, will testify to it. Not literally, but, um, but that you would never go in the front room. You'd go in the front room if it was the Queen's birthday... Not that she'd ever turn up, but you'd go in the front room then. But it'd also be a place where you'd have the best crockery, you know, all in cupboards that you'd never, ever use, particularly for family. Uh, you might use it if you get a guest, but you'd never use the best stuff for your family. But no one would ever go in the front room. I remember as a kid, sometimes I'd open these doors and think, what was so mystical about this front room? Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is this. The story of Jesus, we often think that he was born in a stable. And I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but it doesn't say that in the Bible. He wasn't born in a stable, but if you want to keep believing it, that's fine. But he wasn't born in a stable. Where we think Jesus was born was this, in a front room in a house. Because it was in the front room in the house where the animals were kept. And so the story of Jesus, where in Luke it talks three times about the manger, see the shepherds going to see Jesus in a manger, is simply this that Jesus was born in a front room. And those places in our homes, as it were, we're going to spend the whole of Christmas, that's where Jesus wants to come in and meet with us. We've learned a lot in lockdown that actually front rooms matter to God. We think buildings matter, and they sure do, and sacred spaces like this, we think we are, they are so precious. But actually, your front room matters. And where you're watching this, this morning, this afternoon or tonight, that's where God wants to meet you. That's where Jesus was born. Not in the palace, not in the empire, not even in the big temple where they thought God dwelt. But he met and was born in a front room. And our simple prayer is this for all of us at Christmas, that it would be deeply political, that we realize there's a different way of being in the world. But it's deeply personal. 
and that Jesus might be born and meet all of us in our front rooms amongst all the arguments and the discussions and the kind of coping with family life or whether you're on your own this Christmas. We pray that it will be personal to you. Join with me. I'm going to pray. And then Dave and the worship band are going to lead us in a song of reflection. So let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you showed us a different way of being in the world. Not like the empires, not like the emperors, but your way of real peace. And we pray that we might all live the way of Jesus this Christmas. And we simply pray that it would be a personal Christmas for all of us watching it in our front rooms, whatever that means for us, that we would have an encounter with you that makes it all worthwhile. Ask whoever is watching this, wherever they are watching it, they might experience your love right now. And in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.